Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Hello, beloved family. How are you? I pray you're well the day before Thanksgiving. Um, you know, whatever's going on in the world, it's getting worse by the day. It's getting worse by the hour. Um, it, I, could, I could make a list of everything, but, but you know as well as I do. Um, but what do we have to be thankful for? Our very breath and above all our faith. Uh, we, we must be thankful for that. It is a pure gift that we don't deserve, we'll never earn, we'll never be good enough. It is a gift of God's grace, which means we, no matter how God does that, if we're faithful to him and we remain faithful, uh, we are on our way to heaven. Uh, He gives us free will. We can turn from that. But um, barring our turning from that, um, we are on our way to heaven. And I've mentioned this before, for me, I want to live another 500 years, as long as anyone is still on earth that doesn't know our Lord and his church. I don't know that uh, my body is going to cooperate, or that God will uh, let me live to 500 years, but that's, that's my wish, that's my wish, as long as there's a soul on earth that doesn't know our Lord and his church, I want to be here. What's the difference? 500 years from now is the beginning of forever anyway. So... We have much, much, much to be thankful for. And I know in many homes, apostolates, situations all over the globe, and maybe very much in your own home, um, there have been tragedies and great, great losses. How can we be thankful through those? Because we can pray. We can have an effect in people's lives, and we can get our act together. It's never too late to go to confession, never too late to receive the free gift of God that he offers, which is his life. We deserve hell, every one of us. If you don't know, my dearly beloved brothers and sisters, if you don't know that you deserve hell, then you're not a Christian, no matter what you think. Um, We come into the world separated from God, and if we leave the world that way, we'll be separated from him for all eternity. He is a holy God who cannot come into the presence of sin, um, but in his love, he, um, he took care of sin without compromising his holiness. He required death of the sinner, and he died in our stead. He took our death that we can live by repentance, by coming to him, the only sacrifice that God has accepted. He is not re-sacrificed at Mass. The once-for-all, eternal sacrifice of Christ is represented, unbloodied, he's not re-sacrificed, but represented on the altar of every Catholic church throughout the world. And we receive the very God of the universe, body, blood, soul, and divinity. Um, It's the only way to heaven, dear ones. It's the only way to heaven. You can fight it, but I would suggest that if you're not Catholic, rather than fighting it, you look into how such... uh, so many millions 
can believe such a thing. Intelligent people. I know when my brother started looking into the Catholic Church, I was an evangelical Protestant, and I thought, my David, much reading hath made you mad because he's more intelligent than I, and he's read more than me, and how could he believe the Catholic Church? And I thought, I've got to see where you went wrong, because you went wrong, there's no question. But blessed be God, he was right. And I came into the Catholic Church 16 years after him. Um, so, dear ones, we have a beautiful day coming up tomorrow. And on the Catholic website, uh, the simple, it's called Simply Catholic, simplycatholic.com. Uh, it's a beautiful website. And they have a wonderful article on Thanksgiving, which I want us to read together. And it begins, <clears throat> The very heart of Christian worship takes its name from the Greek word expressing thanks. Eucharist means thanksgiving. It goes without saying, then, that thanksgiving is a rather significant aspect of what the Mass is all about. And there is no real separation of church and state where the celebration of thanksgiving is considered. Citizens of the United States have celebrated thanksgiving at least informally, since before the country's inception. Both the Mass and the celebration of Thanksgiving Day call to mind the very necessary reality that as human beings, we are made to give thanks. Hold on a minute. Okay. What is the reason for our Thanksgiving? The late Archbishop of Chicago, Cardinal Francis E. George, OMI, put it best quote from him, because was such a good, good, good archbishop, recognizing, he says, that none of us is self-made and unwilling to declare ourselves a cosmic accident. We turn to the author of all that is and say thanks. In the face of a gift that cannot be matched in return, all one can do is be grateful. <clears throat> And our last words at Mass is our response, thanks be to God. And in fact, one of my favorite prayers of the Mass says, our ability to thank you is in itself your gift. Everything is a gift from God. Cardinal George explained their significance, saying that gratitude to God shapes our lives at their beginning and at their end. Each moment is a gift. Each event unfolds under God's loving providence. End quote from Cardinal Burke. Cardinal George, uh, rather. The challenge for Christians is to live each day in recognition that all is gift, chief among which is our salvation, as St. Paul exhorts, in all circumstances, give thanks. He writes that to the Thessalonians. In 1789, George Washington declared a day of thanksgiving to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and humbly to implore his protection and favor. Washington set the day aside for Americans to give thanks for their newly established government, but most of all, to render unto God sincere and humble thanks for his kind care and protection. In his Thanksgiving declaration, Washington rightfully acknowledged God as the beneficent, beneficent sorry, author 
of all the good that was, that is, or that will be. Abraham Lincoln, America's 16th president, said similar things in proclaiming Thanksgiving Day, a national holiday. It came at a time when brother fought brother in the Civil War. In many ways, Lincoln's 1863 Thanksgiving proclamation reads like a prayer. Recounting the benefits of a major victory, the Union received, Lincoln recognized God alone as the object of a nation's gratitude. He wrote the victories, quote, were the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who while dealing with us in anger for our sins, hath nevertheless remembered mercy, end quote. And so Lincoln decided to invite all Americans to celebrate Thanksgiving Day on the fourth Thursday of each November, a day set aside to offer thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. In American mythology, the celebration of Thanksgiving traces its roots back to the pioneering Puritan pilgrims of Plymouth Rock who gathered to give thanks for a good harvest in their new North American home. The celebration has religious connotations because these pilgrims sought political asylum to practice their freedom of religion. The first Thanksgiving floats about in the minds of many Americans each year, each year, as they gather around the table for their turkey. But that was in 1621. Since history is told by the winners, it is an example of the often anti-Catholic English narratives that prevailed about our nation's early history. Here specifically, despite a detailed account of Thanksgiving feast celebrated over half a century earlier, the Thanksgiving of 1565 was celebrated in what is now St. Augustine, Florida. Of course, the Spanish colonizers who hosted it were Catholic, and they gave thanks to God, as Catholics do, for their safe passage and arrival in the New World. Not only did they celebrate with a meal of gratitude that day, but began with the celebration of Mass. And so as your family celebrates Thanksgiving, this this year, don't forget that most historians agree that it really started in America as a Catholic celebration. But most importantly, remember the holiday's origins and purpose. No matter if you believe it was started by Washington, Lincoln, or Spanish colonists, it has always been clear that God is the reason we give thanks. Beloved, I would pray that you give thanks, that we all give thanks every single day. And when the scriptures say, Paul's letter to Thessalonians, give thanks in all things because this is the will of God concerning you in Christ Jesus. He means even in bad things. God works all things together for good. Romans, it is in the midst of sorrow, of bad things, that God works them together for good. We need to be thankful for our every breath, beloved. Um, There's the music for our first break. We'll come back and uh, we'll continue and then we'll take your calls and your emails 
uh, following the second break. We'll be right back. Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam. How would you like to wake up each morning to inspiring sermons from knowledgeable and faith-filled priests? You can tune in to Sermons for Everyday Living every day at 6 a.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. You can listen on thestationofthecross.com or anytime on the free iCatholic Radio mobile app. God bless you. Here at the Station of the Cross, we proudly bring the truths of the Catholic faith to countless listeners through radio and mobile devices, and we're grateful for the feedback we've received. It just really connected me to my faith. I always considered myself 100% Catholic, but didn't really realize that I wasn't fully practicing my faith, so I learned so much through the Station of the Cross and began just getting deeper in my prayers and feeling just so much closer to God and so well-versed in learning more about the Bible and more about what actually it means to be Catholic. So it became very, very important to me, and I listen to the radio station daily, and I absolutely love it. I make it a regular practice of donating every time they have their their fundraising, and just love it and wouldn't want it to ever go away. If you've been blessed by listening to the Station of the Cross, let us know. Call 1-877-888-6279, extension 112. Then share your testimonial with us. What you're offering and giving to me, you deserve to get back because you're offering more than I can give. I learned so much through the station on the cross. I listen to the radio station daily and I absolutely love it. I was attending the chapel and places like that and through your programs I was able to find out how other Protestants had come back into the Catholic Church. God bless the station of the cross. Donate today at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I am she and we are live and I'm thrilled to be with you. Um, and I'm going to read a second article from a history um, um, page. This is not a Catholic apostolate. Um, it's written by Christopher Klein, and he, he titled it, Did Florida Host the First Thanksgiving? And, uh, a, and the quote is here, more than 50, five zero, more than 50 years before the pilgrims landed in Plymouth, Spanish colonists in Florida feasted with Native Americans in what some call the first Thanksgiving. And again, this is not a Catholic site, and they have a beautiful image of the, of the Mass uh, uh, with the Spanish colonists. It's just beautiful. Um, a true, beautiful Tridentine Mass. Really, really beautiful. And it reads, blaring trumpets and thundering artillery serenaded Don Pedro Menendez's, let me say that again, Don Pedro Menendez de Aviles as he waded ashore on September 8, 1565. The Spanish admiral kissed a cross held aloft by the fleet's captain, Father Francisco Lopez, 
then claimed Florida for both his God and his country. As curious members of the indigenous Timuchua tribe looked on, the 800 newly arrived colonists gathered around a makeshift altar as Father Lopez celebrated a Catholic Mass of Thanksgiving for their safe arrival in the newly christened settlement of St. Augustine. At the invitation of Menendez, the Timuchuans then joined the newcomers in a communion meal. Some Florida historians have argued that this feast, and not the one held 56 years later by the pilgrims um, in Plymouth, uh, Massachusetts, was actually North America's first Thanksgiving. It was first communi- It was the first community act of religion and Thanksgiving in the first permanent settlement in the land, wrote University of Florida Professor Emeritus, Professor Emeritus of History, Michael uh, Gagnon, in his book, The Cross in the Sand. The menu for the meal shared by the Spaniards and Timuchuans lacked most of today's typical Thanksgiving dishes, but it did feature a traditional post-Thanksgiving staple, that is, leftovers. <laughs> Unlike the pilgrims who served food freshly harvested from American soil, the Spanish were forced to make do with whatever provisions survived the long journey, the long voyage across the Atlantic Ocean. According to Robin um, Giolia, I, I'm sorry, Joya, author of the children's book, America's Real First Thanksgiving, the European colonists likely ate hard biscuits and, oh, chichido, I don't know how to brightly pronounce that, a rich garbanzo stew made with pork, garlic, saffron, cabbage, and onion washed down with red wine. The Timuchua ate what was available to them locally and that could have included alligator, beer, wild turkey, venison, tortoise, and food from the sea such as turtle, shark, mullet, or sea catfish. Goya says archaeological research also shows the indigenous people ate large amounts of oysters and clams along with beans and squash. Some historians argue that while Americans' first Thanksgiving indeed took place in Florida, it actually occurred 40 miles further north and one year earlier than the one in St. Augustine when French Huguenots, Calvinists like the Pilgrims, held a service of Thanksgiving and feasted with the Timuchuans to celebrate the June 1564 establishment of Fort Caroline along the St. John's River in present-day Jacksonville. Quote, we sang a psalm of thanksgiving unto God, beseeching him that it would please his grace to continue his accustomed goodness toward us, end quote. French explorer René Goulain uh, de la Donnière, I, I know I'm mispronouncing all this, wrote in his journal, Unfortunately, Divine blessings were fleeting for the French colonists. Less than two weeks after landing in the New World, Mendez, Menendez led an attack on Fort Caroline that resulted in the slaying of 130 French Huguenots, whom the Spaniards saw as heretics and interlopers. Weeks after the Spanish colonists massacred an additional 200 French shipwrecked survivors at an inlet near St. Augustine that was eventually dubbed 
matanzas, the Spanish word for slaughters. Oh, how horrible to read all this, beloved. How horrible uh, that one religion, uh, if it's truly religion, you'd, you'd just to think of they're doing what Hamas is doing now, putting to death whoever doesn't believe them. The bloodshed helped to wash away historical memory of the Thanksgiving ceremonies held by both the French and Spanish settlers in the 1560s until their rediscovery in recent decades. But Florida isn't the only state that began in the 20th century to stake a claim on America's first Thanksgiving, an historical marker erected by the Texas Society of the Daughters of the American Colonists outside Canyon, Texas, states that Father Juan de Padilla conducted a Thanksgiving service there in May 1541 for an army of 1,500 accompanying Spanish conquistador Francesco Vasquez de Coronado. Virginia and Maine have also put themselves forward as hosts of the nation's first Thanksgiving in the years before the arrival of the Mayflower. So it does look like the Puritans perhaps were not the first. But the fact is, going back uh, to any historical accounts is is thrilling. Um, uh, Of course, going back to 2,000 years, to the greatest Thanksgiving of all, the coming of Messiah and the founding of the Catholic Church as the greatest discovery, the greatest history of all. Um, and the greatest cause for Thanksgiving, beloved. I do pray that you and your family will have a wonderful Thanksgiving and that you will, whether you invite guests or whether you're at home uh, by yourselves or with children, um, read the history of Thanksgiving. Go on to the Simple Catholic website or any other website and um, read the history of Thanksgiving to your children because um, the history of the United States is being um, um, abolished uh, in the public schools, and they may not even know it. Let me just see if, if I can um, find one thing here. Uh, let me just see if I can find it. Okay. Um, let me see. Um, Because Thanksgiving, uh, there's an article here that the Eucharist is the meal to top all meals. Eucharist means Thanksgiving, and in the Old Testament, it was it was preceded and and um, um, pointed to um, by what was called the Todah sacrifice in Hebrew. Todah, spelled T-O-D-A-H, with the accent on the second syllable, Todah is the Hebrew word for thanksgiving. And it was the todah sacrifice, the thanksgiving sacrifice. Todah in the Greek is eucharistia, or in English, eucharist. It is the thanksgiving sacrifice, thanksgiving to our Lord for all he has done for us. Um, Let me just see here. Um... In November and Thanksgiving, 
It's November and Thanksgiving is upon us. It's a personal story that someone wrote. My family gets together every year to celebrate the holiday with turkey, mashed potatoes, stuffing. After we catch up on the family chit-chat, we fill ourselves with food and then fall asleep watching football. But suppose Thanksgiving Day arrives, and although I have not seen many of my family members for some time, I find that I am unmotivated to go participate in preparation and eat the meal with them. Everything will be the same as last time. I won't be missing much. I mean, they're my family. They have to forgive me. So I decide to sleep in. After I finally roll out of bed, I throw on a pair of jeans, a t-shirt, and my coat. I arrive at the family meal late. They have already said the prayer and begun eating. Oh, well, the food is what I came for anyway. I sit down and eat the Thanksgiving meal. Before the meal even ends, I decide to leave. I want to beat the traffic home. This is a very sad story, beloved. The Thanksgiving meal presented above is a sad depiction of how many of us Catholics approach our real Thanksgiving meal, which is the Eucharist, every Sunday. We show up late. We don't want to be bothered with the other believers. We dress as if we were going to a football game. We go only for the food, and then we leave early. Not only do we offend our Catholic brothers and sisters, but we also offend the host. We have lost our appreciation for the Eucharist and have begun to take it for granted. Is it any wonder that there are misconceptions regarding the Eucharist among mainstream media and Protestants? To them, it is just bread and wine. How are we to convince them otherwise? if our actions do not reflect correct thinking. Often, this writer says, um, when talking to non-Christians, I get the argument that Jesus never claimed to be God. They say he claimed only to be the Son of God. They pointed to such passages, if you see me, you see the Father, I and the Father are one, as speaking symbolically and not literally. These skeptics argue that Jesus was saying, He was more like God than many of the Pharisees of his day, but not actually God incarnate. I then ask, why was Jesus killed? Why did his Jewish brethren beat him, spit at him, mock him, and crucify him? What did he do that offended them so much that it required his death? The only interpretation that can answer that question comes from a literal reading of Mark chapter 14, verses 61 to 65. The Jews who had heard him preach understood that Jesus was claiming to be God. To non-Christian Jews, that claim was regarded as a clear blasphemy. They knew what he was claiming, beloved. During this trial, when Jesus was asked, are you the son of God? And he said, I am the high priest. And he said, I am not just answering that question, but using the covenant name of God, for which punishment is, death is the punishment. He said, I am. The high priest ripped his clothes as a sign of outreach and condemned Jesus as a blasphemer. Why did they consider this blasphemy worthy of death if it was symbolic language not to be taken literally? These Jewish scholars would have realized the possibility that he was speaking figuratively if his words had allowed that interpretation. If they had misunderstood Jesus' words, why did not he correct them? and avoid the punishment that followed. Just as Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, beloved, so he said, 
unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. You have no life in you, because my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. John chapter 6. He means what he says, beloved. He means what he says. The Eucharist is his body and blood, soul and divinity, available in the Catholic Church. Please join Father Mark Noonan in praying the Litany of Humility. O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. From the desire of being esteemed, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being loved, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being extolled, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being honored, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being praised, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being preferred to others, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being consulted, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being approved, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being despised, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of suffering rebukes, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being calumniated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being ridiculed, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being wronged, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being suspected, deliver me, Jesus. That others may be loved more than I, Jesus grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be esteemed more than I, Jesus grant me the grace to desire it. That in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease, Jesus grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be chosen and I set aside, Jesus grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be praised and I unnoticed, Jesus grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be preferred to me in everything, Jesus grant me the grace to desire it. That others may become holier than I, provided that I may become as holy as I should. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. Amen. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our half hour together, my favorite time and you're welcome to call in with anything whatsoever on your heart. Uh, toll free, one 511 5483 or email at mother at com. We have an email from uh, Mary Elizabeth. She says, Hi, Mother Miriam. I saw a video online today of a Protestant baptism ceremony in which a full-sized pool, the type you might see in someone's backyard, had been brought into the church, one of those megachurches that has a lot of screens and flashing lights and music. The people being baptized were entering the pool and subsequently erupting into celebration, splashing water on each other, laughing, etc., The whole scene made me nauseous. I always hear that Catholics and Protestants aren't all that different, but things like this make me not so sure. 
How has Protestantism descended so far away from its Catholic roots that it allows for things such as this? How could anyone possibly think that this is the way to show reverence to God? Well, dear one, um, Mary Elizabeth, I certainly agree with you. Uh, Please, God, you'll never see that in a Catholic church. And please, God, you'll never see that in good evangelical Protestant churches, hopefully. It's a, uh, it's a, it's an abomination. It's a show. There's no reverence whatsoever. I, I'm thinking of John the Baptist baptizing the Jewish people in the Jordan prior to the sacrifice of Christ, where they were being baptized for the repentance of sin. But it was a symbolic baptism. It wasn't effectual. It could not cleanse them of sin. There were no sacraments as yet until Christ died and opened heaven. Um, and so they were, they were baptized for the remission of sin, yes, but again, it uh, didn't change their hearts as baptism today. God changes us through the washing of water with the word and takes out original sin and puts his spirit in us. That does not happen. Um, uh, that didn't happen in John's baptism, um, uh, John the Baptist. But look at the people. He called them a brood of vipers. They, they came in full repentance. If they entered that Jordan River and splashed each other and shouted and all that, it would have shown they have no clue what was happening. They had no clue who God was. And so um, it's, I, I see it as abomination. Uh, personally, the people are mistaught. They don't understand. And so that's how they're led by their pastors. And maybe they're charismatic, whatever it is. Um, God doesn't deserve that. And um, it, it doesn't show him reverence. It doesn't... Um, uh, bring up the fear of God, not to be afraid of God, but to be in awe of him, that he is due. We should always bow before God, not jump up and down and splash each other with water. That's not what baptism is about. So, um, but Mary Elizabeth, uh, Protestant baptism or Protestantism altogether and Catholicism are not alike. They're not even greatly alike. They're not. Um, uh, the Catholic Church has stood for 2,000 years. Protestantism began 1,500 years after Christ established the Catholic Church under Martin Luther and then other reformers. And uh, Martin Luther himself threw out seven books, seven plus, seven books plus parts of two others in the Old Testament because they didn't match the Jewish canon. And... Um, wanted to throw out several books of the New Testament, and his own people stopped him. Um, he threw out James. He called it an epistle of straw, and his own people stopped him and made him put... And the reason he wanted to throw it out is because James says that faith without works is dead, and indeed it is dead without works. So we're not saved by our works, but we're not saved without them. And so um, they're, they're nothing alike at all. Catholicism is true Christianity. It's the fulfillment of Judaism and the full measure of Christianity. Um, if, you're, if you're wondering, dear Mary Elizabeth, you need to come home to the Catholic Church. Um, okay. 
Um, we have an email from Mary Ann who says, Hello, Mother Miriam. I hope you're happy and healthy in your new home. We are, dear Mary Ann, and we ask all of you to pray for Bishop Strickland and whoever our new bishop will be. Um, she says, Can you share any Catholic Thanksgiving customs with us? What should Catholic Thanksgiving look like? Also, when Thanksgiving concludes, where should we turn our minds and hearts? Do we dive straight into preparations for Christmas? No. If you dive into any preparations after Thanksgiving, it's for Advent, uh, which happens, uh, begins the first Sunday of December, um, a week after Thanksgiving, December 3rd. And uh, Advent is the beginning of our new year. And it's a time of quiet, of prayer, of fasting, not of celebrating, not of Christmas shopping, not of decorating. If you want to decorate your homes for Christmas, do that prior to the beginning of Advent. Um, and if you have lights up, don't put them on. Don't light up your tree. Don't do any of that until Christmas begins, until the Son of God is born among us, which is Christmas Eve, December 24th. And if the, I've said this before, if the whole world respected that, they'd flip a switch on Christmas Eve and the homes would light up and displays on church lawns of the, of the nativity and Christmas trees in homes and all kinds of decorations. December 24th, that's when it begins. All these homes that are decorated from Thanksgiving on and call themselves Christian and Catholic, I don't say they're not, but it's kind of dead the day after Christmas, or at least the week after. For Catholics, for true Christians, it begins Christmas Eve, when the light of the world has come and all the right lights go on. And it continues the whole season through Epiphany, through Feast of John the Baptist, through... Um, uh, so many feasts until um, the presentation of our Lord in the temple on February 2nd. That's how long Christmas lasts traditionally, from December 24th to um, February 2nd. And our newsletter, beloved, is going to be in the mail to you next week. I, I wish we could have had it sooner. It's We already have it back from the printer, but we don't have the envelope shed and all of that. It won't get to our mailing house until next week. It'll be mailed next week, and hopefully you'll get it right at the beginning of Advent. And the newsletter covers Advent right through to February 2nd, and it will give you Advent traditions. And the uh, tradition of the O Antiphons from uh, December 17th right through to Christmas Eve, and uh, it forms the song, um, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And the whole thing's in our newsletter. So we're going to send that newsletter out um, uh, the beginning of next week. Email. If you're on our email list, you will get it by email. And those who get it by email and regular mail, you'll get the regular mail as well another week or two later. But you'll get the email next week. And um, uh, if you're not on our email list, it's a 32-page newsletter, the largest ever and it goes right from Advent through the Feast of the Presentation. It's a beautiful newsletter right, right off the press. And um, we don't charge for it. You're welcome to go onto our website if you're not on there uh, and sign up for the newsletter by mail 
and or email, either one or both, it's fine. And again, if you sign up now for email, you'll get it next week when we send it out. So um, we might even send it out the Friday or the end of this week, probably just before the weekend. So you have, um, go ahead and go to our website, motherofisraelshope.org, and click on newsletters, sign up. If you sign up today, let's see, tomorrow's Thanksgiving, we're probably going to send it out by email on Friday. So you've got a couple of days to sign up. Okay, and if you miss it, don't worry. Uh, you can still get it from our website. Um, so I think the question was Thanksgiving traditions. And um, hold on now. Um, the first tradition, of course, for faithful Catholics is to go to Mass. That's the greatest Thanksgiving, to give thanks for the Eucharist, which means Thanksgiving. Go to Mass with your family, Thanksgiving morning, um, and help each one to think about who God is, what he's done for you, for them individually, for your family, and for this great holiday. And then encourage your children to, um, maybe at the Thanksgiving meal, to share with one another as you go around the table uh, what you're thankful for. Be thankful for one another. Be thankful for God. Be thankful for the Holy Mass. Be thankful for all the blessings he's given you. And then just truly uh, have a good feast uh, together. And at the end of Thanksgiving, or even before, it would be good in preparation for Thanksgiving for your family to make up baskets of Thanksgiving food turkeys, whatever else you can put in there, bread, potatoes, uh, cans, even cans of vegetables, and give them out to the poor. Let your family do that. Um, If you can do it prior to Thanksgiving, and of course that's just today, but even for future um, traditions, it's wonderful for your family. You can go out and buy things, but it's wonderful for your family to put things together and put them in baskets, and um, go out and give the baskets to the poor. If it's one basket from your whole family, or if you have three children, be three baskets or five baskets, whatever it is, let them give to the poor out of what they have um, and out of what you may buy. But it's it's a wonderful, wonderful way um, to thank God and to show others how thankful you are because what do we have that we haven't received? And so um, to bring thanksgiving to others is, is a, a truly um, a wonderful tradition, but also it spreads thanksgiving and shows them that we are thankful because what we have comes from others. Um, uh, let me see... Um, some people suggest you could pass around a journal at Thanksgiving and everyone can write down, not, not just speak it, but write down what they're thankful for. And then each Thanksgiving, you can add to that. Um, so that would be very wonderful, too. All right. You can have the children make a Thanksgiving breakfast for their parents. <laughs> okay. Let me see what else now. Um, but again, don't go into preparations for Christmas. You can, but make sure there's preparations for Advent included in that, that you have your Advent wreath 
and you have the four Advent candles, three purple and one pink, uh, celebrating, representing the 4,000 years uh, from uh, Abraham to Christ, or from Adam and Eve rather to Christ, um, and have your children know. And there are, you can go online and get little booklets or go to uh, Catholic um, Fish Eaters, it's a funny name, fisheaters.com, and you can um, uh, look up um, um, Advent prayers, readings, traditions, and read the Old Testament scriptures that represent each of the four weeks of Advent and light the Advent candles with your, with your family every night before you sit down to dinner. Okay, there's the music for our final break, beloved. Um, and we'll be right back after the break. We'll have about 10 minutes. There'll still be time for your calls if you wish. Our lines are always open. And the toll-free number is one 511 5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back. Station of the Cross, we proudly bring the truths of the Catholic faith to countless listeners through radio and mobile devices, and we're grateful for the feedback we've received. I discovered the Station of the Cross rather providentially a year ago. I've been a loyal listener ever since. I can't overestimate the value of the station when it's made a difference in my life in terms of making me better informed Catholic, has enriched my faith, and told me during tough times, and made me laugh on several occasions. I commend the important work of this great apostolate. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I listen to the radio. And if I can listen to something that brings me closer to God, closer to Jesus Christ, then it's the most beautiful thing. If you've been blessed by listening to the Station of the Cross, let us know. Call 1-877-888-6279, extension 112. Then share your testimonial with us. The Station of the Cross Catholic Media Network is dedicated to answering the critical need of access to quality, consistent, professional, and proven Catholic programming. We cannot rely on other media outlets to properly represent our church. Catholic Radio reaches Catholics, non-Catholic Christians, and non-believers alike. As a non-profit lay organization financially independent of your diocese, our apostolate is listener-supported. At the Station of the Cross, we understand that life circumstances can affect your giving options, whether by moving or by switching banks and credit card numbers. Please let us know if recent changes have been made to your payment information so that we can better serve you as you continue to bless us with your financial support. Update your information today at thestationofthecross.com or by calling 1-877-888-6279, extension 104. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our last segment for today. 
Um, and Thanksgiving is tomorrow. So if you have anything on your heart, uh, go ahead and call in. There's still time. Ten minutes is a lot of time when we're speaking. Um, and the toll-free number, one 511 5483 or email at mother at We have an email from Richard. Richard says, when and why did the, excuse me, when and why did the traditional Latin mass begin to be associated with extremism and radical Catholicism in the eyes of its critics? As someone who grew up in the 60s, The TLM, that's traditional Latin mass, was all that I knew as a child. I still have fond memories of attending beautiful midnight masses for for Christmas with my family. Richard, I hope you still not only have fond memories, but I hope you still attend beautiful midnight masses, uh, TLM masses, with with your family or with friends or by yourself. I don't know the exact answer to that, but my guess is that the traditional Latin Mass began to be associated with extremism and radical Catholicism in the eyes of its critics when its critics um, developed under Paul VI what is known as the New Order of the Mass, the Novus Ordo. Um, And the New Order of the Mass did away with a tremendous amount of reverence. It, it, It lost tremendous reverence for God it left things out that had been in the mass for uh, the many ages. Um, it really made God our friend and familiar. Uh, it did not contain the reverence, the holiness, um, the full meaning of the mass of the ages that had always been. So when the new mass came into being, um, the, the previous mass, the mass of the ages, uh, began to be attacked and not allowed, and to this day the attack has not stopped, especially now being attacked from um, priests and bishops right up to the top of our hierarchy. And so um, what I would say, uh, Richard, is what God has given, no man can put asunder, not with marriage, not with the Mass. The traditional Latin Mass is the Mass of the Ages. It will always be. Um, whether it's above ground or underground, it will not cease. And I, I would hope that you would go to it or go back to it be, and, and rekindle, refine the beauty that you knew um, as a child, especially with Thanksgiving and Advent and Christmas coming up. Lydia says, what is the rapture? I've heard different descriptions and explanations from different people. I've also been told by some that it is a a farce, F-A-R-C-E, altogether, but others take it extremely seriously, so I'm not sure what to believe. Can you help clear that up for me? Um, Yes, Uh, I'm going to do my best. There's so many... um, Catholics do believe in a rapture, but it's different than Protestants believe. Um, I'm on the site, catholic.com, and um, there are so many different uh, articles on the, on the rapture. Um, let me just see. Um, I'm going to go with um, a lot of the verses, because the Protestants will quote verses 
to support where they are in the rapture. And so, um, um, oh, I'm looking at Tim Staples. Um, he says, the theory of the rapture is elaborate. It espouses a secret snatching away of all true believers in the very near future. Now, I have beloved Protestant friends who are waiting for the rapture and are waiting for it to happen because of all the events in the world, and it looks like the, the end times, and the Antichrist is not too far down the road, and all those facts they're putting together, and they're, they're waiting and praying that the rapture would happen soon, which would be a snatching away of all true Christians. Um, and it would cause chaos throughout the world because those who are left, there's a book, Will You Be Left Behind? Those who are left uh, would not be true Christians. Otherwise, they would have been snatched up as well. Um, and and the, the statement here by, by uh, Tim is, one can only imagine the numbers, not just of cars, but planes, cranes, and every other kind of heavy machinery that will crash or careen out of control if true believers are snatched away. This will be followed by a seven-year tribulation. This is a premillennial, um, a tr- premillennial uh, eschatological view, which is what I held as a evangelical Protestant. Um, uh, there are several end times views, but this is the one that I knew and held. Uh, it, the rapture will be followed by a seven-year tribulation period in which billions will die in a horrible persecution and war spearheaded by the Antichrist. Then there will be a judgment. Then a thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ on earth, followed by yet another and final judgment. And all of this from folks who believe in the perspicuity of Scripture, mind you, Tim says. So where do these beliefs come from? Due to, and, uh, uh, let's see now. Um, uh, Tim says, Tim Staple says that he's due to all this different different beliefs um, uh, surrounding the rapture theory. He's going to focus on three main proof texts most popular among rapture theorists, verses that every Catholic should be familiar with and be able to exegete properly. And the first is First Thessalonians four verses fifteen to seventeen, which says, Paul says to the Thessalonians. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the archangel's call, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord, end quote. Right off the bat, Tim says, I always ask the question, does this really sound like it is going to be a secret? <laughs> in defense of the rapture theorists, I should note that in one sense, they agree that this event won't be secret because the whole world will have to explain or explain away this massive disappearance of millions. But it will be secret in the sense that Jesus himself will not reveal it to the world for what it is. Nevertheless, I still cannot see how you get secret out of an event that is described as being accompanied by a cry of command with the archangel's call and with the sound of the trumpet of God. The truth is, of course, there will be nothing secret about the second coming of Christ. And this is precisely what St. Paul is describing, the second coming of Christ. 
And Tim says, note, there is no seven-year tribulation mentioned, no millennium, just as we Catholics would expect. Paul describes this event as the end of all things. Quote, so we shall always be with the Lord. Another verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 51, 55. Lo, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. Oh, dear. That's the end of the program, the music. I'm going to take this up uh, when we come together again. Um, It's very important. And um, many Catholics are confused on this. I'll just give you a little word before I leave to put a smile on your face. This verse, uh, Paul uh, in 1 Corinthians 15 says, We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That is a sign put on a lot of nursery doors. (laughs) We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Okay. God bless you, beloved. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving and be thankful that you have breath and another day to repent or to thank God for his great salvation. Blessed Thanksgiving and God bless all of you.